Thank God. It's good to be together, isn't it? Isn't it? It's good to be together. You know, you could go and tune in and and listen to some great messages online, but uh, you'd be missing out on something. You would be missing out on the the body of Christ. You know, you'd be missing out on the fact that you were designed to fit. You were designed to be part of something beyond yourself. And you're designed not just to stay the same all the time. You shut yourself up in your house, it's pretty easy to say, I'm right. I'm just, I should just be like this. It's the rest of the world that's wrong. But when you become part of the body, you know what the Bible says, he fits us as he desires. Not as you desire, not as your mom desires, not as your wife desires, not as your husband desires, as you desire, as he desires rather. That's how he fits us. And so he, he, he grinds out and sands out some of those rough edges. He begins to fit you in a way where you find out, man, it's not me working. It's the grace of God working through me. And that's where the power of God is. So if you've got a Bible and you're not afraid to use it, why don't we open it to the book of Matthew chapter 10. And uh, we're going to read about, um, we're going to kind of launch out from this point where Jesus is speaking to his disciples about, and he's getting them ready for not just following him around, And watching him do things. If you study uh, the life and ministry of Jesus over those three, three and a half years, uh, what you notice is a pattern. For the first bit, he took his disciples and he let them watch, observe, be part of it, but kind of, you know, he was doing most of it. Then he began to send them out. Then he began to have them do some things. And then he sent them out two by two on their own. And so gradually he's training them. He's not just teaching them uh, through, you know, just his sermons and through his words. But he's teaching them by letting them apprentice and showing them this is what you're going to do when I'm gone. And this is the power of the Holy Spirit. So even when I'm gone, you're still going to walk in this power. So in Matthew chapter 10, he's preparing them for it. And he prepares them for it by sending them out, but also by telling them it's not going to be an easy road. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be people that hate you, but that's okay. They hate me too. In Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to, we're going to just start in verse 5. He said, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. He said, don't go into the way of the Gentiles because it wasn't time for that yet. Don't enter any city of the Samaritans. But rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, preach. This is a good word for you and me. As you go, preach. You know, I I know that we've said this before. There's a a classic quote by Francis of Assisi that says, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. It's kind of become a, a bumper sticker thing. What he meant by it was let your life preach the gospel as well. Don't just say it. Preach the gospel the way you live. But I will say this with all due respect. The gospel must be proclaimed. You can't just expect people to watch you and just pick up by osmosis some of these basic truths. The the gospel is meant to be proclaimed. Not even explained, although there's part of that, but it's meant to be proclaimed as good news. This is good news. And the Bible says when it's proclaimed, there's power in that. Faith comes... When people hear the word, right? And so when people hear the gospel, there's faith that comes. And so this is what he says. When you go, you preach. You proclaim. And then he says, when you proclaim this, you go and you preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Things are different now. The world has changed. Something's different. Tell them it's not the same as it used to be. 
Tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what does that hand mean? It means it's right here. It's not far. It's here. And he says, when you do that, you heal the sick, you raise the dead, you cleanse the lepers, you cast out demons. Praise God. And they did. And he says, freely you received, freely give. Freely you received, now freely give. Now, you might have a translation that simplifies that a bit and says, you received without cost, give it without cost. And I believe that's part of what he's saying here. He says, don't charge for the gospel. But I think there's a lot more to it than that. I think freely has more than just cost implied with it. When he says freely received, now freely give, yes, he's saying, of course, you don't, you don't say, if you pay me five bucks, I'll preach the gospel to you. <laughs> of course he's saying that. But I think he's saying beyond that, to freely give this, to freely receive and to freely give, means not only was it given without cost, but it's given without measure, without limit. Yeah. Amen. Jesus gave them without limit. The Bible says he had the spirit without measure. Yeah. And so it, there was no limit to what he, what he gave them. In fact, he sent them out with the same authority he had. So when he's saying, freely you've received, it's without cost, it's without limit, it's without qualification. Because here's the deal. We get into this, we get into this, I, I deserve this, but I don't deserve that. And, and the, the problem with thinking like that is that you think you deserve any of it, Right? I deserve this from God, but I'm not sure I deserve this from God. Let's just settle it right now. We don't deserve any of it. We don't deserve anything we got from God. That's his work. That's what he did. It's, it's because of his greatness. It's his goodness. And so if you just get over yourself and say, I don't deserve what he's giving me, then, then you can say, all right, I can receive. So in order to freely give, you first have to learn how to freely receive. People that don't know how to freely receive rarely know how to freely give. If you've had a hard time believing that Jesus could forgive you, well, you're going to have a hard time believing that Jesus could forgive other people as well. If, if you're putting all these boundaries on what God can do for you, God, well, he, he probably wouldn't do this because of this and this and this in my past and this in my life. Well, then when you look at other people, you're going to judge them with the same eye and you're going to say, mm, I don't know if you qualify for the grace of God. Yeah. The best thing you can do is just crucify your ego right now. Just put your pride on the cross and recognize I'm not getting what I deserve, thank God. And I'm getting what I don't deserve, thank God. One of those is mercy, right? Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. And grace is when you get what you don't deserve. See, mercy said, I I mean, you deserve death, but I'm not going to give you death. Thank God for that, right? I didn't get what I deserved. I deserved death, but he didn't give me that. Grace is when he gives you what you don't deserve. You don't deserve a seat at my table. You didn't deserve uh, to be called a son or a daughter. You didn't deserve uh, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. You didn't deserve all of these things. And yet I loved you so much because of my great mercy, because of my great kindness, he bestowed. And when I say my, I'm saying this is what God is saying to us. He bestowed those things on us, not because of what you deserve, but because of what Jesus did. And so now the best thing I can do is just put my pride there and say, I don't deserve any of it, but I am happy to receive it. When you got saved, you had to learn how to receive something you didn't deserve. When the disciples came to Jesus, you know how they came. Some of them were uh, fishermen. Some of them were tax collectors. One of them was an, seemed to be an assassin that, that worked with rebels. I mean, there, there, there were some guys that probably didn't get along, 
probably had opinions on whether this guy, one guy he found just sitting under a tree. I can only imagine what some of the hardworking fishermen thought about that guy. Right? Jesus seemed to like him. This is a Nathaniel. This is an Israelite in which there is no guile. But the rest of them said, you found him sitting under a tree. You found us working. You found him just sitting under a tree daydreaming. So you can imagine how they might have judged each other, how judged themselves. And Jesus took them, not based on who they were, but based on what he knew they could be and what he could do with them. And he said, freely you've received, now freely give. One of the greatest things in our life, and we're going to see it in the scripture, one of the greatest things in our life is to be able to, with arms wide open, with hands open, receive freely from God and give freely. And understand that everything I have to give first came from his hand. When King David took up this great offering for the temple, you guys remember the story. He was still alive. He was an old man. And he had determined, my son gets to build the temple, but I'm going to make sure he has everything he needs. He's got the blueprints. He's got the political alliances to make sure the cedar comes from Lebanon. The rocks come from over here. I'm going to make sure everything's in place. And so he took the initiative to say, we're going to take up an offering. It's going to be a free will offering. It's not a tax. Nobody's forced to give. Each one gives as their heart stirs them. And what happened was, was that people gave a massive offering, much like what they gave for the tabernacle in Moses' day. And he had actually, you know, once again, it was more than was necessary because that's what happens with free will. That's what happens with grace is that it goes above and beyond. It doesn't go less than it goes above. And so when, the, when we're under the law, we do what's necessary. We do the minimum. We, we meet the requirement. But when the Spirit of God is stirring people's hearts, they went beyond what was necessary. And David gets up, and they've taken up a huge offering for God. And our temptation when we take up a, a do something great for God, or we give something great to God, our temptation is to say, Lord, how about a pat on the back? Lord, I did it this time. I bet you got something for me. Look, Lord, aren't you glad that I joined this church? Aren't you glad? I mean, you might not say that to the Lord. You might come and say that to me. Aren't you glad I joined this church? I paid for this whole thing over here. Nobody's ever said that. Don't worry. David says this. Gets up and he prays and he says, Lord, thank you. Who are we that we could give you such an offering? Thank you for letting us give you this offering. For from your hand we have received... And to you, we're giving it back. What he recognized was that everything we have to give first came from him. 2 Corinthians 9 says this. It says, he who will provide seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And what he's saying is, you're giving an offering, but it's not coming from you. The Lord is providing a seed for sowing and bread for food. So he's giving you something that you're meant to eat, and he's giving you something that you're meant to give. It all came from him, though, right? And so if you understand that, then you know what? I want to I just say this, and I want you to hear it in the right spirit. But when you, when you really have your heart right before the Lord, and you're standing in his righteousness, then you're not afraid to receive something from God because you know 
this is, I know that he's given me seed for sowing. I know he's given me bread for food. And he'll be able to tell me which one is which. What am I supposed to eat and feed my family with? And what am I supposed to give? And when you have a heart of a giver, you don't mind receiving because you know what it's for. You're not embarrassed. You're not, you're not worried because you know. You say, Lord, Lord knows my heart. God has put this in my hand. It's from his hand. I hold everything loosely. I don't close my hand over anything and say, it's mine. When we do that, we're showing that we are afraid to lose it. We're acting like orphans. We're saying, you know, I got to look out for number one. But when you receive from the Lord and you receive it with an open hand, then you're ready to give at any moment. Nothing you own, nothing you own should you be afraid of giving away. I've said this before, but if there's anything you have, now, thing, I'm not talking about people. Don't give your kid away. But if there's anything you have that you can't imagine ever giving away, it might be time to give it away. Because it may have a hold on your own heart. Now, <laughs> some of you are getting nervous because, like, maybe you have to give your house away or something. But, you know, the Lord told you to do that. You could do that. But you might just say, Lord, can you work on my own heart here? Because I recognize I'm holding on to some things a little too tightly. But I realize you gave it to me. So if you gave it to me, Lord, you can do anything with it. He says here, freely you've received, now freely give. You know, some of you, most of you know that in the past week I dealt with some health issues that, that took me out for a few days. And I, I've learned something that uh, I've been told by people that are older and smarter than me. And I guess sometimes you, 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 you learn it, but you, you learn it a bit more when you walk through it. It's a lot easier to pray for other people than for yourself. Because when you pray for other people, it's all on God. Right? You're like, Lord, you can do this. I know you love them. I know that, you know, you're praying for people. It's, you're interceding. You feel unselfish. All of these things. And when you get in that moment where you're having to pray for your own self, you're still, whether you like it or not, you're still dealing with these things, that, these little voices that say, well, you did this to yourself. You didn't rest when you should have. You didn't do this. You ate what you shouldn't have here. You did all these things. And you're, you're qualifying whether or not you deserve the mercy of God. Yeah. Now, you wouldn't do that if you're praying for somebody else. Yeah. You do it to yourself. Yeah. Right? You begin, to, you begin to critique your own life. You begin to critique your own decisions. And, you know, listen, there's a lot of stuff we do to ourselves. I understand that. And God may say, you know, listen, you, you come up for prayer for the same thing. Quit doing the stupid thing that's causing this. God may tell you that, right? Yeah. It's time for you to stop eating cheesies, you know? <laughs> they had their run. But maybe you're, maybe you're a little too old to be eating cheesies breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You need to quit that. At the same time, you know, I had, a, I, had a, I had two mentors in my life that said the same thing different ways. One of them, uh, he was ministering in a very small community and... Uh, he, he, he was just, he was ministering here and ministering here and then ministering there. And uh, he had gotten on, some, somebody in one of these churches had a small plane. They said, ride with me. Pastor, I'll take you to the next meeting so you can get there on time. So he did. They jump in this little tiny plane. And uh, when he gets there, he realizes he's lost his wallet. What had happened was he put it on the wing of the plane. Oh. That's a problem, right? <laughs> so somewhere over the forest, he lost his wallet. Because it wasn't on the runway. They did, you know, the, the, the air crew did a good check. It was nowhere on the runway. And uh, he got home and he said, Lord, you know, I, there was a lot in that wallet that I needed. 
And he beat himself up. He said, you know, I knew better than to do that. I did this. He found every time he prayed, he blamed himself. I did this. This was my fault. Ah, you know, it happened because I was stupid. I wasn't thinking. I was distracted. That's what happened. And the Lord corrected him. Because the truth is, if you go down that road, almost anything you ever pray for, you can find a reason that it's somehow your fault. If you think hard enough, you'll find a reason you deserve this. And if you can't think of it, there is an enemy who is the accuser of the brethren who's real happy to supply it for you. When you understand that when the disciples said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he be born blind, Jesus said neither, but this is going to end up in the glory of God. It's, it's the religious folks. It's, it's the Pharisees that are asking, what would you do to deserve this? It's Jesus that's saying, I'm here. Whether you deserve it or not, I'm here to heal and to restore. So he changed this. This, this, this pastor changed the way he was praying. He said, Lord, okay. I just receive your mercy. I, I know, Lord, this is your goodness. You're the, you restore things that are lost. And uh, he gets a call. Not long after he changed that, he gets a call from the airport. And they said, you wouldn't believe what happened, but it appears that a wolf found your wallet, <laughs> brought it, and dropped it off right in front of the door. He said it was a little chewed up. It had little bite marks on it, but he got everything back. And it changed when he started to just get over himself and realize, you know what? It's my fault, but it doesn't matter. What was so cool about that is Tia and I were at his church when he told the story. And God used that in Tia's life because Tia, my wife, had a back issue that she had had since she was a young adult where she had lifted something that her parents told her, don't ever try to lift that on your own. But I live with this woman. And when the creative monkeys start going off, she doesn't wait for me to help her move furniture. She's got to get it done now. She'll, she'll saw things, sand things. She is a workhorse, but she'll get it done in the middle of the night. And so she doesn't want to wait for someone to help her. So she lifted something she shouldn't have lifted, hurt her back. And every time she got prayer for her back, she said in the back of her head, she always said, but I did this to myself. I knew better. I did this to myself. How many of you have ever thought that? This is my fault. Yeah, it might be. But your Savior is so good. Your God is so big that he's bigger than what you did. And thank God if he could forgive your sin, right? If he can forgive the sin that you committed against him, if his love is that big, his mercy is that great, his grace is so grand, don't you think that whether or not it's your fault or not, that your Savior can do what you couldn't do, that he can heal, that he will restore if you got to repent, repent. But I'm telling you right now, you can't live the rest of your life qualifying the grace of God. My father, when, his, when he started a church in Texarkana, Texas, and uh, it was mostly ex-hippies who were getting saved, he started this church, and they were seeing a move of God. People were getting saved by the hand, I mean, not the handful, whatever beyond the handful is, by the bucketful. Can you put people in a bucket? Whatever. People were getting saved. Lots of people. And uh, one of the things that was happening was that people were also getting healed. And they saw mass healings. God was just doing a great work. It was a, it was a real move of God. It was wonderful. 
And there was a woman who had this condition with her eye, a young lady, and she was one of the most faithful, loyal. She was always there praying for people. She was always the one that would come up and just pray for everybody that was there. Just a, such a pure heart, great person. And, and they were seeing people healed on the spot. And so they were like, you know, this is amazing. And they turned to her and said, can we pray for you? And she backed off. She said, don't waste God's grace on me. You have to remember, God's grace is not finite. It's not limited. It's infinite. God is infinite. You and me, we're finite. We have limits. This is why we don't love people with our love. We love people with his love. You love people with your love, you'll run out of it. But if you love people with the love of God, there is no limit to it as long as you're receiving. So she backed off and she didn't receive. Why? Because she just said, well, don't waste it on me. She qualified the grace of God. And I've got to tell you that in order to be givers, we have to learn how to be receivers as well. I'm reminded of Exodus 25. You guys remember the story of the Israelites leaving Egypt. Remember this? They're leaving Egypt. They just want to get out. Pharaoh has finally said, you can leave. Just get out of here. Leave us alone. And what happens? God doesn't let them just leave. He says, no, you have to go to your neighbors. And you have to go knock on their door and do something really awkward. You have to ask them for all their stuff. Because they're going to pay for the years of slavery. <laughs> Anybody here feel comfortable doing that? Not me. I had to sell chocolates in school. I don't want to do that again. You know, can you imagine going door to door and say, give me all your acacia wood, your silver, your gold. And remember Exodus 25, your porpoise skins. I want all the porpoise skins. How many porpoise skins do you have? I want it all. God said, Though, thus you will plunder the Egyptians. Listen, they left, the Bible says they left Egypt laden with silver and gold which is not convenient in the wilderness. You, you don't need a bunch of gold in the wilderness. What's that going to do for you? They're wandering through. It's more weight. They've got wood. They've got silver. They've got gold. They've got fabric. They've got porpoise skin. Right? Thank God for porpoise skin. You got any porpoise skin shoes? Oh, right on. Real porpoise. No. So they go, and they're laden with all this stuff. They don't know what it's for. And they might have said to God, God, we don't need this. Please just let us go without it. In fact, there was a point where what God had given them, they abused, right? Because there was a point where Moses went up the mountain. They got nervous that he wasn't coming back. So they built themselves an idol with all this stuff that they took. But you know, everything that God puts in your hand can be used for good or idolatry. And you got to make sure, say, this is not for idolatry. This is not for, this is not selfish. This is not for, this is not for the enemy. This is for him. This is for God. I'll use it for whatever he tells me to use it for. But they get to Exodus 35. And God says, I want to dwell among you. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. I want to put my tent in the middle of your tents because I want to dwell amongst my people. Build me a tent. Build me a tabernacle. And he gave Moses a blueprint that he said, in Hebrews it says it was the blueprint based on the uh, uh, picture in heaven. It was based on a heavenly picture. 
And he built that tabernacle based on God's designs. And guess what it needed? It needed silver. It needed gold. It needed the wood. And it needed even porpoise skins. We need porpoise skins for this thing. You see, if they had said, Lord, we don't need that from the Egyptians. God, don't make us take it. Lord, we don't need that stuff. That might have sounded humble. It might have sounded unselfish. But when the time came for them to build a temple for the Lord, a tabernacle for the Lord, they wouldn't have had what they needed. A lot of times you think you're being unselfish, saying, Lord, don't you know, Lord, I don't want to take that. And, and God might be trying to use you to bless somebody else. He might try, be trying to use you to do something for his kingdom, and you're just sitting there feeling like you're super humble. Listen, stop trying to be humbler than God. Stop trying to be holier than Jesus. Can we just be obedient? Freely you've received, now freely give. So they did, and they built it. Thank God it was the same thing that Moses said. He, he, he said, everyone whose hearts stir him, bring your offering. Can you imagine what that must have been like? You've been carrying around these things for years. Now you're for, for a long time, but your heart is now stirring you. You know this ring is not for me. It's for the kingdom. It's for God. You know this, this, this wood we've been hauling around actually has a purpose. The porpoise has a purpose. It's a porpoise-driven life, right? No, all right, all right, all right. We've got enough dads in the room. We can do this. Moms, I'm sorry. Kids, I'm sorrier. What, what, what do we do? We say, Lord, whatever you want to put in my hand, I'll take. And whatever you want me to give, I'll give. I want to freely receive and I want to freely give. I want to live that kind of lifestyle. Learning how to receive is one of the, one of the things that you, some of us struggle with. Learning how to freely receive. Learning how to receive the grace of God. Learning how to receive the love of God. Listen, we live in a culture today that is big right now on self-love and self-care. And I'm not against those things. I understand you need to take care of yourself. But I will tell you this. I think if you spend your life entirely self-focused, you're going to have anxiety, depression, condemnation, because you were not designed to be self-centered self-focused. I know you might have quoted this. I've quoted it myself where you say, Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So you can't love your neighbor unless you love yourself. I get that. But that's like the only scripture where you see even half a hint of that. You really can't find it. If it were a big deal in scripture to love yourself, like if that were the big thing that y'all need to love yourself more, it would show up somewhere. But it doesn't. You know what we find out is that in the last days there's going to be trouble because people are going to be lovers of self. So maybe lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money. They're going to love the wrong things instead of loving the right things. Lovers of self instead of lovers of others, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, lovers of money rather than lovers of good. These are all things that are going to happen. And so I'm not telling you don't take care of yourself because, listen, I, I know we live in a culture where we are ground down. We are serving. Uh, the culture is built on a spirit of mammon, and you just got to work, 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 and make more money and do all of these things until you can't do it anymore. When it is God who gave us Sabbath, it is God who told us to rest. 
It is God who said, it is vain for you to rise up early and go to bed late and to eat the bread of painful labors because don't you know he gives to his beloved even in their sleep. And don't you know unless the Lord builds a house, you're wasting your time. And don't you know unless the Lord guards the city, the, the watchmen stay up in vain. So quit trying to think you're earning your pay. Isn't that what they learned when they had that manna fall from heaven? Every day manna came. And God said, don't even try to get that grind set mentality where you're going to gather two days worth of manna because I'll make worms eat it at night. One a day. Because you got to trust me that tomorrow the food will be there. And he said, the only day I'm going to let you gather two days worth is, is right before the Sabbath. So that on the Sabbath, you rest. But that's God. That's God's idea of taking care of yourself. Taking care of yourself according to God is really understanding he's taking care of me. He's providing for me. He gives to his beloved independent sleep. So what you're doing is you're switching the focus from me to God. Right? It's not I need to take care of myself. It's my father takes care of me. Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Your father knows. The Gentiles chase these things with all their life. But your father knows you need these things. But you seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. And all those things that you need will be added to you. What you're doing is you're taking, I'm not self-caring. I am letting God care for me. Because the Bible says... It says that he died that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. I don't have to live for myself anymore. So let me tell you, if you're, saying, if you're sitting here going, well, I really struggled. I, hate my, I hated myself. I didn't love myself. I, I, I was self-condemning. And so somebody told me I needed to love myself, and that actually helped. Let me give you something better. Instead of spending all your energy loving yourself, I want you to learn how to receive the love of God. John said this, John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. If you would receive the love that God has for you, here's the problem. If you love yourself and you're saying, I've got to find a way to love myself, what you're going to do is you're going to look inward and try to find reasons to love me. And maybe you'll find them. But someday you're going to look in the mirror and you're not going to be able to live, laugh, love your way out of it. You're going to look in the mirror and you're going to go, I don't like what I'm looking at right now. Because as you're examining yourself, trying to find good stuff, you're going to find stuff you don't like. But if you would, instead of looking inward, you'd look upward. And you'd say, God, you love me. Not because I'm the most lovable, cute thing on the planet. But you love me because you are great in love. You are rich in loving kindness, rich in mercy, abounding in love. Lord, you, are, you love me because your love is so great and your love will never fail. When you begin to believe that, it doesn't matter what you see in yourself. When you're looking at God, you say, I know I'm loved because the Father loves me with an everlasting love. That kind of love you can give away. It's not limited. You know, I, I, we were raised on, on movies that told us that you can love people that are hard to love if maybe you just take their glasses off, they'll be pretty, right? People with glasses on are pretty, aren't they? But no, in the movie, you take your glasses off, give them a makeover. Oh, good thing I love that loser. They turn out to be great. But in real life, when you love people that haven't been loved all their life, they don't instantly become the greatest people in the world. A lot of times they've got real damage, yeah. real brokenness. Mm -hmm. 
A lot of times you'll reach the end of your own patience, your own capacity. If you are loving people, hoping to get something out of it, people will fail you. But if you are receiving the love that comes from God, you know and you believe the love that God has for you. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as propitiation for our sin, as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. In this, the love of God was demonstrated that at the right time, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, if you can receive that kind of love, then you can give that kind of love away. But you won't be able to give it away until you're able to receive it. And so I'm telling you, why don't you replace yourself love with receiving the love of God? Because that love knows no cap. That love knows no limit. That love has no measure. Freely receive, then freely give it away. And then you can love people that hate you. And you can love people that are persecuting you. And you can love your enemies. And you can love people that are treating you badly. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. And that's the same love that's in you. Because I'm telling you today, we've got to step out of our human capacity. And we've got to get back to the fact that we are the children of God. Walking by the Spirit with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven in us. And we've got to learn how to say, I'm not just here living like Jonathan. You're not just here living like Justice. You're not just here living like Tony. No, we're here living as representatives of Christ himself. Carrying the work of the Spirit, carrying the grace of God. So Paul said this, I am the least qualified to be called an apostle. In 2023, we'd say, well, then don't be an apostle. If Paul came out and said, I'm not qualified, we'd say, well, then don't do it. You're fired. You shouldn't be an apostle. Paul said, I am the least qualified to be called an apostle, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain was not useless for I worked harder than everyone else but it wasn't me working it was the grace of God working through me that's the power of God let me close with this thought you guys know this story in Luke chapter 7 when Jesus was invited to a Pharisee's house right can I just read it to you let's read it together I've been quoting a lot of scripture but it's good for you to see some of this in your in your Bible Luke chapter 7 and we'll close with this so don't don't worry (laughs) Luke 7 Jesus finds himself invited to a house of a Pharisee but it turns out to be a bit of a setup you've probably heard this before but in their culture the further out you went to go meet somebody the more honor you gave them in the story of the prodigal son the father meets the son way out on the road, bestowing on him honor he didn't deserve. If a king came to visit you, you got, you'd meet him outside town, just like they did when they laid their coats down for Jesus on the triumphal entry. But Simon didn't do this. Simon sat at his table and made Jesus come into him, to his house. And when Jesus got there, it was tradition that you would... Wash your guest's feet, or at least have your servant do it. Simon didn't do this. It was tradition that you would greet your guest with a kiss. Simon didn't do this. He wanted to humiliate Jesus. We find out that there is a woman who comes in 
who's been set free by Jesus, been forgiven. And she is so upset at the way Jesus has been treated that she begins to weep and wash his feet with her tears and dry it with her hair. Now, she brought a very expensive bottle of perfume. She had planned to anoint him with that perfume. I don't think she planned to wash his feet. I think she was shocked when she got there that his feet hadn't already been washed. Broken that this is the way he was treated. Simon, sitting there like he's, you know, top dog. Putting Jesus in his place. Not in a place of honor, a place of dishonor. And it says... Now, one of the Pharisees in verse 36, Luke 7, 36, requested, was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. There was a woman in the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, kept wiping them with the hair of her head, kissing his feet and anointing him with, with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he'd know who, who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him and that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered. Now, what's so funny is he said it to himself. He's like, if he were a prophet, and Jesus read his thoughts, <laughs> he goes, and answered him. So I guess that kind of proved he was a bit of a prophet, huh? He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. Jesus said, a moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you've judged correctly. Turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman? You see, in all of this, Simon's not looking at the woman. He won't even acknowledge her presence. He's, he's, he's there, won't even look at her. Jesus makes Simon look at the woman. Look at this woman. You see her? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. That's another thing that they would do when their guests came over. It was hot. People were stinky. You anoint them, put oil on their head. It would, it would be cooling. It would be refreshing. It was honoring. Simon did none of these things. He said, you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to, her, her, say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What troubles me about that story is yes, of course, that woman realized she'd been greatly forgiven because she was very obviously a sinner. What troubles me about it, though, is that Simon didn't think he needed that much forgiveness. Jesus said, the one who's been forgiven little loves little. See, Jesus was talking to Simon on his level, but here's the thing. Here's the lie Simon believed. I only need a little forgiveness. I haven't sinned very much. 
This woman sinned a lot. But if you saw what God saw, you would see how great your own sin was that he forgave. How great his mercy was towards you. Jesus did not have to die a worse death for you than he did for me. It's not like if he had just only had to die for me, it could have been a nice, calm, lethal injection. No, he died a brutal death. He died it for you. He died it for me. It's not like if he was doing it for me, he'd just get a slap on the wrist. But, oh, he had to die for Tony. Tony's sins are worse than mine. No, it all cost him. She's been forgiven much. And if Simon had realized, had, had, had been humble enough to realize, you need a lot of forgiveness too, then he would have received the mercy of God. And then what would have happened? Here's what Jesus said. The response to the mercy of God, to a heart that receives mercy, is that you love much. Yeah. Mercy that's received produces love. And so you know when you freely receive the mercy of God, when you freely receive the grace of God, because what naturally happens when you freely receive is you become a generous giver. You can give mercy to others. You can give love to others. You, can, you become the kind of person that says, who am I to withhold from you what's been freely given to me? So I'm going to forgive. I'm going to love. I'm going to walk in kindness. I'm going to walk in the power of God. I'm going to pray for you like someone prayed for me. I'm going to intercede for you like someone interceded for me. I'm going to give out of my pocket because someone gave to, God provided for my needs. He gave me something to give. So today I, I want to leave you with this thought. Jesus said that John the Baptist came that the valleys would be lifted up and the mountains would be leveled. John the Baptist saw that because people that were just really, really in the public eye, bad sinners, came to him and were seeing their sins forgiven. And then people who thought they were above everybody else came to John, and John knocked them down a few pegs, called them brood of vipers. Who warned you? Bear fruits with repentance, right? What he did, what you see God doing, what you see the power of God doing, was that people who said, I'm not worthy of Jesus. He raised the valley up. He said, now you're worthy. People who said, I don't need Jesus. He knocked that mountain down. Because listen, pride will keep you from the grace of God. The best thing God can do for you is level your pride so that you can receive grace. Pride will kill you. Grace will heal you. And so what needed to happen was that those Pharisees needed to, those religious leaders needed to be knocked down. It was not cruelty. It was not, it was not anger that caused them to be humiliated in front of all these people. It was mercy. Because if they'd stayed proud, they'd never receive from Jesus. What needed to happen? The valleys need to be lifted up and the mountains need to be leveled. The crooked places need to be made straight. Why? So that a way would be prepared for the Lord. If we want a way prepared for the Lord in your life, if you want God to move in your life, if you want God to use you, then you have to let him knock down your pride and lift up those parts of you that say I'm, I, that are condemning yourself, saying, I'm not worthy. I've done too much. I'm too guilty. I've got too much of this. I've got too much of that. God wants to take that and say, my blood cleanses you of all unrighteousness. He's going to lift up the valleys. He's going to say, listen, put your pride on the cross. It's, it's not doing you any favors. Realize that you need grace so that you can have it. Jesus did this when he came to the church in Laodicea. He says, you think you're poor. Or you think you're rich. You think you're clothed. You think 
think you have, you can see well. But he goes, I know that you're poor, you're naked, you're blind. Jesus didn't say this to him because he didn't like him. Jesus didn't say this to him to embarrass them. But Jesus told them this because he said, now, once I've told you about your real condition, you're naked, so come to me and I'll give you, I'll give you clothes. You are poor, come to me, I'll give you gold refined by fire. You can't see, so come to me. Let me give you salve for your eyes. When you recognize your need for a Savior, you open up and say, Lord, I'll receive that. So thank God he is, he's lifting up the valleys of those of you today to say, I'm not worthy of what God has. He's saying, it was never about your worthiness. It was always about my worthiness. It was never about your work. It was always about my work. He's lifting the valley up. And for those of us that say, oh, I don't need that. I can do it myself. I can provide for me and my family. I can take care of myself. He is knocking down that mountain. Stop trying to take care of yourself. And be cared for by a loving father. Yeah.